older ladies and gentlemen, maybe even uh, Michael the vicar who knows or remembers the name of this family, the Gabors. Anyone remember the Gabors? Their famous daughter, a matriarch and several daughters, was Jar Jar Gabor. Infamous in a way because they had a tendency to marry very rich men and divorce them as soon as they could and then marry again and became very rich. She was once asked, Jar Jar was once asked on a television interview, how many husbands have you had? And she replied with a question, of my own darling Well, we're reading from John's Gospel, a very, only two verses, which leave out a lot of quite interesting discussion between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Now, you have to know that Samaritans were despised by the Jews, absolutely despised. They were heretics. And so Jews would have nothing to do with them. But Jesus does have something to do with them. And this particular woman, who's had five husbands... Five husbands? Anyone here had five husbands? I don't think so. You don't look as if you have anyway. She had had five husbands and the man she was living with when Jesus met her wasn't even a husband. But Jesus treated her with compassion. But we've only got a short bit of this. He says to her, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And then we turn to the letter to the Romans. I therefore urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, as a spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to lo any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. We've come to the end uh, of our uh, sermon series on worship and prayer, exploring what it's like for us to be a contemporary house of worship and prayer. And uh, to finish the series, I've asked uh, Evelyn to come and share with us from her experience of worship. Evelyn has been a worship leader here from time to time over the last year or two. And she leads worship in the Connect Women's Group. And I've asked her to speak of her experience, uh, which she shared something of in a seminar earlier in the year that some of you will have heard. I asked her to come back and share something of that with us this morning. So let's pray for Evelyn, and uh, let's pray that God would open our hearts to him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit resting upon us this morning. By your Spirit, would you open our ears to hear your word spoken to us and open our hearts to respond with gladness and joy. 
may you pour your Holy Spirit upon Evelyn that she may speak of you and open our eyes to you this morning. Amen. Evelyn. morning. Are we on? So good morning, everybody. As Michael said, um, this is part of a series of um, the vision for the church to make St. Jude's a house of prayer and worship. And I was really excited when I heard about this vision because I think that's, that's amazing for us to be a house of prayer and worship. So to, this morning, I'm going to talk about, about worship. And in particular, Mike has asked me to share with you Three things. So if we could have the first slide, thank you. So the first thing is my personal testimony and how I first became interested in worship. The second thing is the testimony of um, a small group of women called Connect and the experiences of worship that we've had there. And the third thing is some thoughts and learnings that perhaps could challenge us and hopefully also inspire us as a church. But before I go any further, I should just, I feel the need to confess that I'm very nervous. So just to get that out there, so you all know, then I can relax. And the reason I'm nervous is because I've been a member of this church for 12 years, and I've never been asked to speak before. So this is a real privilege for me. But at the same time, I'm only all too aware that I'm not an expert in the topic that I'm speaking about. I have an interest, I have a passion in worship, but that doesn't make me an expert of any kind. So I should just say right at the outset that anything I say is directed at myself as much as anybody else. And I'm also just conscious that we all come from different walks of life. We're all at maybe at different stages of our faith. And wherever you are, whatever your, whatever your stage is, you know, if you're a child that's come from baptism today, you're at the beginning of that stage of faith, that's brilliant, and that's wonderful, it's lovely to see. Some of us have been Christians for a long time, you're just that little bit further on the journey, and, and perhaps some of us have, may have no faith at all. But whatever, you've, whatever stage you've come with today, I hope that as we think about God and how to worship God, I hope that you will find something relevant and useful for you to take away. So, okay. So, part one. I must adjust my microphone. Is it not on? Is it on now? Are we on? Sorry, we're not on. Yeah, that's on. Are we on now? We're better now. Okay, so part one. My personal testimony is obviously personal to me, but I hope that through it, perhaps, you might, um, you, might feel, you might be able to relate to some of it, perhaps, maybe not all. But anyway, so here goes. As a young child, I, was, I grew up in Malaysia, and my parents were not Christian, but they decided that taking me to church was a good idea. I could perhaps learn some moral values and perhaps be a good person. And so I went along to Sunday school once a week. When I was 14, I became a Christian. And that was great. I started to read Bible, I started to grow my faith, and 
yeah, things, things were looking, looking good. But when I was 19, I'd just done my A-levels, and something quite amazing happened to me. I, God put me in the right place at the right time to receive an amazing blessing. And it was when I was living in Singapore, I had done my A-levels waiting for my results, and the church that I was going to was a large Methodist church in Singapore, and they had organized for an American school of music ministries to come. And they were going to go there to have a big convention and a six-week training course for leaders of the Asian church. They had invited six sort of world-renowned worship leaders. They had, you know, Steve Fry, David Fellingham, Bob Fitz, you know, people, people like that who, uh, you know, had cassettes in shops being sold um, and who lots of people around the world knew of. So it was an exciting event, you know, I was very excited for it. And what happened was a week before the event, some of the delegates who were meant to come from different parts of Asia had to pull out because they couldn't get travel visas. Some people coming from Burma, from Cambodia, and those were kind of very unstable countries, and they couldn't get visas to travel. So in the few days before it was due to start, um, a notice went out to the church to say, would anybody from this congregation like to take up a place that had been prepared but can't be taken up? And that's how I landed up, you know, 19 years old, no experience at all, just done my A-levels. I landed up in a worship training course for six weeks. And it was nothing short of a miracle that my parents let me go anyway, because they were really overprotective of me. And they, but I think they just heard the word school, the word music, and they said, yeah, that'd be great for her education, let her go. So off I went. But I got a lot more than that. I didn't just get an education when I was there for six weeks. My life was completely transformed in that time. I learned a little bit about music, and I learned a lot about myself, and I learned a lot about God and what it means to worship God. And for the first time, I had a close encounter with the living God, and what a privilege that was as a young person. So towards the end of the course, I started to learn a little bit about leading other people into worship, but really most of the time was spent learning how to worship God myself. And I think the course was organized that way because it was felt that you can't lead other people to a place where you've never been. So there began my journey and my passion and my interest in worshiping God. But what is worship? What does it mean to worship God? And I'd like to read you a short passage from Graham Kendrick's book. Some of you may know Graham Kendrick. We sing some of his songs sometimes on Sunday mornings. He's written a lot of Christian songs, and he's written a book about worship. And this is the start of chapter two, called What is Worship? It's at this time you're going to know how old I am because I can't see the words. It may seem elementary to ask the question, what is worship? But it is surprising how little understanding there is among Christians of this most fundamental part of our humanity. Is it something religious people do on a Sunday? Is it a funny interval? Is it a funny internal feeling that makes you want to sing? Is it an activity for Christians of a certain emotional disposition? Is it a word to describe everything in the church service that leads up to the sermon? A pleasant corporate activity involving community singing of favorite choruses? Should it be loud or quiet? Should it be organ and choir, or drums and guitar? Opinion, it seems, will never cease to vary, 
along with fads, fashions, and factions as to how worship should be conducted. But it seems remarkable to me that so much of the conversation about worship is actually concerned with our own personal preferences. One person prefers traditional hymns, another sings only new choruses. A neutral observer to these disputes might easily go away believing that worship is conducted purely for the benefit and satisfaction of the participants. Regrettably, there is often some truth in this for the question as to what we are trying to achieve through this means is rarely asked. So, what are we trying to achieve? Worship is for God. He is our creator, and the worship of his creatures is both right and his pleasure. Worship is first and foremost for his benefit, not ours, though it is marvelous to discover that in giving him pleasure, we ourselves enter into what can become our richest and most wholesome experience in life. And then he goes on to say that worship is God's enjoyment of us and our enjoyment of him. And that was in, in, in Psalm 149, which was read to us earlier. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. So let's park that idea for a moment um, as we move on to part two, and we'll come back to this again in part three. So part two, connect. I'm going to say very briefly what connect is, because I'm just conscious that you know, not everybody knows what it is. Um, and then I'll just share a little bit of the experience that we've had. So Connect is a group of about 30, about 30 or so women. We meet here on Thursday mornings in church, and most of us are members of this congregation, uh, but some are not, some from other churches, and sometimes we have visitors and friends who may not be Christian at all. We have regular Bible study, we pray, um, and we have other external speakers, you know, craft, socials. We eat cake and drink coffee. We have a nice time on a Thursday morning. So this is an unashamed plug for Connect. If you're new to the church, you want to make some friends, come and join us. You'll be very welcome. So it's a very friendly group. Anyway, over the years, we've started to introduce worship as one of our activities. We do this about once or twice a term. And over the last sort of one or two years, we've seen some amazing things happen. And what I should say at the beginning is that we're not, we haven't been doing anything revolutionary. We've not done anything unusual. We normally start by reading a psalm together, and then we sing four or five songs. But over time, we've witnessed some amazing effects of what we've been doing. And for example, when we worship God, sometimes people start to weep, sometimes tears of gladness, sometimes, sometimes tears of pain, some people finding forgiveness, some people being convicted of wrongdoing, some people feeling called to do something or other. So it was quite bizarre, because we never really knew what to expect. And initially, it was also quite embarrassing, because, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit odd, isn't it, to start to cry. It's, you kind of feel people look at you. But as, as time went on, we just started to leave tissue boxes out, because so many people were crying that it was no longer embarrassing. And, and that, that was really wonderful, because then we could all be free just to be ourselves. And, you know, we, nobody was looking at each other. We were just concentrating on what was going on with ourselves. From time to time, I'd been asked, you know, what did we do to, you know, to create this difference? What did we do to produce that effect? But actually, we didn't do anything. All we did was we set aside some time, usually about half an hour, and we tried to create a safe and conducive space 
so that everyone could be relaxed and just free to be ourselves. And then we invited God to come and send his Holy Spirit on us. And the physical activity we're doing was very ordinary, but the effect that it had on us as a group was fantastic. And people were drawing closer to God, and God was meeting them at their point of need. And, you know, when we first started doing, when we first started having these kind of sessions, uh, lots of people were just kind of watching from the side, um, enjoying the music, maybe, and maybe joining in the singing, um, you know, kind of just observing, dipping their toes into the water. Um, but other people were having some really deep and life-changing moments, and, and those were having long-term effects for them. And as, as, we, as time progressed and people got used to what we were doing, more and more people kind of threw themselves into the water, and God responded by enveloping them in his love, with blessing, and with healing. So, we come to part three now. Just some thoughts and, um, and learnings, perhaps, that, um, that might challenge us or inspire us. I'm only going to say two things, um, and that's, this is the first thing that I kind of want to leave you with this thought, that worship is wide as well as deep. Firstly, it's wide because it includes a whole range of activities. In fact, our whole life should be a continuous act of worship. It says in Romans 12, which we read earlier, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. When we give ourselves to God, or we put ourselves at God's disposal, that is worship. Everything we do to honor God is worship. Reading the Bible with our minds, helping other people with our hands, giving financially with our wallet, getting baptized is worship, because it's an activity that honors God. Going to work can be worship if what we do is to the glory of God. However, in addition to all those things, we also worship God through music and singing. And I'm going to suggest to you that worship through singing is special. And it's special because it's intimate. It's up close and personal with God. Now, there's depth to all kinds of activities that we do to worship God with, but it's mainly in the context of singing that I'd like to also suggest to you that perhaps worship can be deep. And I'm just going to spend another moment thinking about being deep. So could we have the next slide, please? Thank you. So when we sing songs of praise and worship to God, we can enjoy that experience on many levels. And I've just kind of, you know, I've put down a couple of levels which I think might be relevant for people. And this is not a comprehensive list. Let's just say level one, if we call that observation. We observe with our eyes. Level two, maybe, is joining in the singing. So that involves the lips, the lungs. Level three, maybe if we sing with meaning and understanding, that involves our mind. Level four, maybe goes further. If we express our love and longing for God, that involves also our emotions and our heart. Then on the next level, level five, if we invite God to come and meet with us and fill us up with his spirit, that's another level into it. And are there more levels? What about six, seven, and eight? I don't know what they are. But 
All levels are good. We might be at level one, or we might be level zero, we haven't started yet. But whatever level we are, it's good. The more of God we experience, the closer our relationship will get. So if you're level one or two, your worship involves the physical action of the body. If it's three and four, it's the mind and emotions as well as the body. If you're level five, then it's body, mind, emotions, and spirit. So you're getting more and more of yourself involved. And what's, what's beyond that? That's something for us to explore. With each level, I suppose that the message is with each, with each level, we add a new dimension and a richness to our worship. So let's just think about that for a moment. We're saying that worship goes beyond the physical. It involves the body, the mind, and the spirit. Really? In John chapter 4, 24, which was also read to us earlier, it says God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean, in spirit and in truth? You know, for some of us, this is familiar territory, but for others, maybe it's not. And we're thinking, do we really want to get all emotional when worshiping God? Do we want to involve the Holy Spirit? Is that perhaps appropriate for Pentecostal churches? You know, we're Church of England. Many of us are middle-aged, some of us more. Is this becoming of respectable people? Do we really want to get involved in that kind of thing? So hold that thought for a moment. Um, I'll tell you a little story. Shortly after I got married, um, this was many years ago, I went to visit my grandmother in Malaysia. She asked me how married life was treating me. I said, yes, it was very good. But, you know, I was, I was working long hours, so was my husband. We struggled to find time to spend with each other. Then I found myself in a conversation with my granny, who was quite elderly, um, about the idea of marriage. And she said to me, you know, in her day in Malaysia, um, many people had an arranged marriage, and relationships were very functional. Roles were very clear-cut. You know, the, the husband kind of went out to work, the wife stayed at home, had the children, looked after the cooking, you know, domestic side of things. And, and so for, for my grandmother and people in, in her generation, falling in love with your spouse was neither common nor was it crucial for marriage. But for most of us today, having a loving and emotional bond with your spouse is probably an important thing. Most of us will say that to be quite important for our marriage. It doesn't mean that a functional relationship is not important or that arranged marriages are no good. On the contrary, you have to have the functional relationship first in order to build the different layers on top of it. But when you add an emotional and intimate dimension to a functional relationship, it becomes even more rewarding. And in some ways, worship is a bit like that. It has many layers or levels or dimensions to it. And the more layers that you add, the deeper you go, the richer and more rewarding it becomes and the closer we get to God. So, this begs the question. How can we go deeper in worship? And I'm going to say two things very quickly about this, and then we're finished. So stay with me. The message is nearly over. I'm going to look at this from two, from two points of view, from an individual's point of view, and also from a congregational point of view, from the church's point of view. So as individuals... I'm going to suggest to you that we can do something to help ourselves. We can take off and we can put on. 
So what should we take off and what can we put on? We can take off the things that get in the way of us meeting God. And what are those things? Now, I don't have time to go into it. I'll, I'll just, if you're taking notes, it's Ezekiel 44. There's a passage there where God says to the priests in the Old Testament, before you go into the inner part of the temple, the Holy of Holies, you have to do certain things. One of the things you do is you take off your woolen garments and you put on linen ones. So take off the wool, put on the linen. And, you know, at some point, this is, you know, a teaching that Mike perhaps can give us some other day. There's a lot of um, biblical symbolism of what wool means and what linen means in the Bible. But in a nutshell, it, the priests are encouraged to take off the things that get in the way of worshipping them, things that make them sweat, and put on the righteous things. And I think we can learn something from that as well for ourselves. Take off the things that get in the way, the barriers that are between us and God. The unconfessed sin, the unforgiveness, distraction, anger, pain, resentment, that long list of things that I need to do this afternoon. And we can, in, the, in place of that, we can put on, we can put on things that help us to worship God. We can actively claim God's promises, be reminded of who God is and what he's done. Mike spoke earlier about if the queen was coming to meet Rowena, she would not be distracted by the things she thinks she's supposed to do this afternoon. She'd not be distracted by anyone. She'd be focused on, on the queen. And likewise, we're here to worship the king of kings. Let's just be focused on him. So I'm going to say, just give you a little list of things which I think are helpful, and then I'm going to move on to what we can do as a church. So we can pray, ask God to meet with us, then wait, be patient, don't rush. Then surrender our anxieties, our troubles and pain to him. Be expectant. Do we expect to see God when we come here on a Sunday morning? And be focused, be focused on God. You know, don't be distracted by somebody who's singing out of tune next to you or lifting their hands or fidgeting with small children. We love our small children. But don't let them distract us from worshipping God. So as a corporate body, what can we do to make our worship better? I think sometimes, because of the way our church is set out, you know, the seating arrangements are such that, you know, it looks a bit like a theatre, isn't it? You're all kind of sitting in rows, and then there's a stage over here, you know, some people standing on it. Um, so we treat it a bit like going to the theatre, the next slide or going to a concert so you get people on stage and then you know, everyone's kind of watching and we may even make judgments about you know whether we like what we see or what we've or enjoyed what we've heard but I like to contrast that with a different picture I'd like to challenge you with the idea that when you come to church, and particularly when you know, we have the worship part, of the singing part of the service, it's not to be part of an audience in a concert, but it's more like joining a choir. In the choir, the worship team is the worship master coordinating the singing, just like those two people. You could just about see them at the bottom there. They're telling people what to do. And all the singers are the choir, and God is the audience. And he's joining in too. So at the end of the service, if you feel maybe less than happy with how the singing went, before you say to the worship leader, well, we could have been better or this or that, 
I'd like to challenge us all to ask ourselves, did we take off and put on? Did we take off for the things that hindered us? Did we put on all the things that helped? Did we participate in the worship? Or were we expecting somebody to worship on our behalf? How is our relationship with God today? Is there something stopping us from worshiping God? If there is something in the way, how can we get rid of it? I guess what I'm saying is that I feel that the worship team, they prepare the songs, they make the time and the place, and the aim is to make the environment safe and conducive. They build a platform on which everyone else, all of us together, can build the worship. It's a bit like the table we had at Harvest. I think some of you were here when we had the Harvest Festival. We put out the table. Um, Mike put out the table, but that was not the offering. Mike put out the table. We all contributed the food to put on top of the table. And the whole thing, when it was finished, that was the offering. So in the same way, the worship team prepared the structure or the platform, and it's there to facilitate or hold up the offering that is brought by all of us. So I suppose what I feel is that the corporate worship that we offer God is a collective effort and a collective responsibility. So I just encourage everyone to take up that responsibility and join in. So I'll just finish with this slide, just a summary, that worship is wide as well as deep. It encompasses a huge range of activities, but it can also be very deep and very personal. How can we go deeper in worship? As individuals, let's remember to take off and put on before we worship God. As a collective body of Christ, let's not just attend a concert. Let's join the choir. Okay, so let's just um, finish by worshipping God together. Um, shall we remain seated and perhaps just reflect on um, what God is challenging us to do today? Let's stay seated as we sing, I will offer up my life.
This time.